are back. Warping Roof Radio, RadioNext.tv, at the Cool Groove site. We come to you every Wednesday from 10 until noon. And this week, of course, as everybody knows, is Halloween. We are discussing horror, movies, and trick-or-treating. And not to mention the most important issue as we start our broadcast this week, which is the Ray Bradbury Center. And on the phone we have with us here today Jason Ackerman, who is working at the Ray Bradbury Center on the campus of IUPUI. Good morning, Jason. Good to hear your voice today. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, we were just uh, at an event yesterday at IUPUI, and we had a great opportunity to hear uh, the man who really has uh, kind of catapulted the uh, Ray Bradbury Center, Dr. John Eller. Uh, give us just a bit of a snapshot of John and tell us about uh, what he is doing and the interest that he has had in Ray Bradbury. professor of English um, at IUPUI. Uh, he's had a, a pretty impressive career. And uh, when he was still in the military, he met Ray Bradbury, um, hosted him for a conference, and uh, they just became great friends. And that established a, a very close uh, friendship between John and Ray's principal bibliographer, Don Albright, that, that lasted a quarter of a century until Bray, Ray passed away in, in 2012. Mm. And um, through John's close friendship with Don Albright, uh, Ray's bibliographer, and uh, the Ray Bradbury family, um, they all work collectively to bring this um, amazing gift of Ray Bradbury's uh, artifacts. We've got uh, his basement office reconstructed with entirely original artifacts, both of his writing desks, some of his typewriters, his working library, his bookshelves, uh, as well as uh, uh, hundreds of thousands of pages of correspondence and manuscripts. And uh, it really is an archive and a treasure trove. And it we would not have it anywhere in Indiana um, or, or, or anywhere else if, um, if it wasn't for John Eller uh, serving the role that he did here at IUPUI and recognizing the need for this collection to be preserved and um, realizing that IUPUI had the resources to make that happen. This is a really important uh, issue right here when we talk about the Ray Bradbury Center at IUPUI. So let's just pause and make sure everybody understands what we're saying here. This, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. No, 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 <laughs> sure, this, is, sure. this is the only place in the world that this exists. Is that correct? Yes, I mean, there's, there are small pockets of Bradbury correspondence at other places, and then there's a large private collection um, elsewhere, but this is the only place uh, where something of this magnitude is made available to the public. Yes. And, and that's really an important uh, statement to make, and, and let everybody know, by the way, that... Uh, when this is open, when they can come and see it, if there are tours available, and so on. Okay, that's that's an interesting question. Yes, we do have we do offer tours, um, but everything is covered in three milliliter plastic right now. <laughs> um, and the reason for that is we don't have at this time an ideal museum archival space. So we're on the first floor of Kavanaugh, and there's a sprinkler system uh, throughout the building 
that could come on any time that there's a, there's a fire alarm. And there's also uh, four levels of pipes, uh, hot water pipes that heat the building um, uh, above us. So water is a, a significant concern. So if you want to tour the center, let us know ahead of time so we can uh, uncover everything for you. Mm. Um, it, Jen and I tend to keep the center open. Um, about 10 to 4, um, Monday through Friday, although, you know, he's he's working on um, a, a book project right now, and I'm working on my PhD, so right now, the center's completely dark. Um, no, mm. Nobody's opening the center today because John and I are both working from home. Mm. Uh, so we, we try, the, the general time, if you're just going to stop by, usually 10 to 4, somebody is there. But it's uh, it's always a good idea to schedule a tour ahead of time so that we can prepare for you and... Um, and make sure that you get the, the full experience. It's really important for everybody to hear uh, what Jason's suggesting here today about uh, this Ray Bradbury Center, that this is the only place that's open to the public in reality, and, and it's the uh, largest archive, actually, of all of Ray Bradbury's material. So let's transition, uh, Jason, to uh, Ray Bradbury himself. Uh, I'm going to use that word again. I know uh, it came under uh, considerable scrutiny the first time I used it, can you give us a snapshot of Ray Bradbury? Yeah, <laughs> uh, one of the best-known authors of our time. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I teach W131. I teach college freshmen um, uh, a writing course, the same course that you teach, actually. And uh, I, I ask students every semester if they know who Ray Bradbury is. Most of them haven't until you start naming some of his short stories, and then they realize, oh, yeah, we read that in, in high school. Mm -hmm. um, he had a 70-year career, and it wasn't just writing science fiction, fantasy, and horror. He did so much more than that. He worked in Hollywood. Um, he wrote the screenplay for the award-winning film Moby Dick in the mid-50s with John Huston. Mm. And, you know, he his career with, with Hollywood spanned uh, almost as long as his writing career did. Mm. He worked in television. He, worked, he put on plays. Uh, there, there was uh, there was very little that he didn't do, mm. um, he, he, and not to mention the fact he was an incredible advocate for our space program. Um, astronauts, um, if you come to the center, you'll see we've got all kinds of mementos from NASA and uh, awards from the scientific community because uh, th those astronauts and astrophysicists and uh, NASA folks read Ray Bradbury growing up <laughs> and his dreams of space became their dreams and mm. you know there's a there's a collection of Bradbury stories on Mars right now mm. um, to, to give you an idea of how important he was uh, to the program and what I find uh, super fascinating that's that's a Bradburyism that I've picked up uh, is super fascinating it's all the awards that we have from the Russian space program oh my you know Bradbury is writing at the height of the McCarthy era Cold War tensions could not have been hotter, um, and uh, the Russians adored him as much as we did because his dreams of going to space and reaching the stars, mm. uh, they, they transcended nationalism. Mm. Uh, so he was appreciated by arc rivals alike, and um, the fact when Gorbachev came in the early 90s, um, when H.W. Bush was in office, uh, there was a dinner that was hosted in his honor, and Gorbachev uh, was asked, do you want to have anybody invited to the dinner? And he said, yes, I'd like my two favorite authors to be there, Isaac <laughs> Asimov and Ray Bradbury. <laughs> um, 
snapshot oh. today? Yeah. Oh my word, that's just uh, that, that's really well done, actually. Uh, okay. In about three minutes, you did that. That's I'm I'm very impressed. And and the the thing that stood out to me that I've not heard before was that uh, a collection of his stories is repeat this now on Mars. Is that right? Um, uh, I know the Marsha Chronicles is there. I don't know if there's there's more than that. But he's also got landmarks named for him on Mars. Oh, my word. Um, you know, Valles Marineris, the, uh, the, the, what people popularly refer to as the Grand Canyon of Mars, which is far deeper, far larger than our own Grand Canyon. Hmm. The deepest point in there is known in popular culture as the Bradbury Abyss. And, uh, he uh, he he's he said late in life he would love for his ashes to be spread uh, at, at the Bradbury Abyss. Oh my word! Yeah. <laughs> what a what a astounding individual and a, and a man who uh, transported people's imaginations uh, in so many different directions, but especially up into this into the skies. This is really an, an amazing uh, person. Let's uh, transition uh, next to the idea of imagination, though, because uh, science fiction writing and the kinds of writing that Ray Bradbury did uh, were really powerful ideas. Uh, so why don't you begin uh, just kind of another um, overview of this imagination uh, really explosion that he did in the minds of people in his literature and start off by giving us a couple of perhaps the most well-known of his writings. Um, well, I would say his well, most well-known writing is certainly Fahrenheit 451. And uh, he wrote that in the um, very early 50s. And uh, really, uh, part of his imagination, um, he, he would look and see what kind of path people were on now. How are humans going to respond to technology that we don't have in our current time? Mm. Um, what's the government going to look like? And he was very fond of saying he was not interested in predicting the future. Mm. That was never his goal. But he wanted to imagine certain futures and prevent certain futures from happening to, to show us where authoritarianism can lead us. Mm. What can happen if people stop reading? Um, the, the important thing, um, you know, people know Fahrenheit 451 is a book about book burning where the government comes in and burns books, but he communicates throughout the, the, throughout the novel that uh, this didn't start with an authoritarian regime. People stopped reading. Mm. And uh, the, his famous line in the book, you know, you don't have to burn books to destroy a culture. All you have to do is convince the public to stop reading. Mm. Wow. Um, so, yeah, that, that's his most well-known. But he, he did a lot of wordplay, um, a lot of word associations, and every time he sat down at the typewriter, the question was always, what if? Mm. Um, what if this? Uh, and he produced some, some really amazing stories as a result. And the idea, of course, of what if is really the basis for all of science fiction. Is yeah, it? absolutely. Yeah. So when we think about Ray Bradbury, and correct me if I'm wrong, did, did he have something to do with the, with the story I Am Legend? Okay. John Heller could could uh, could speak to that, um, uh, but um, that, that's a good question. I don't know. Why, why, why do you ask? I, I was asking specifically about maybe the connections to Hollywood movies. Uh, do you know of any that you might be able to mention? Uh, between Bradbury. Right. Right. Ray yeah. Bradbury's. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, he's he won an Emmy for the Hanna Barbera 
uh, early 90s animated adaptation of the Halloween tree. And we, we mm. actually have that Emmy um, in the center as part of our collection. So um, people, if you let us know in advance, we can pull that Emmy out and, and let you hold it and take a picture with it. Oh, wow. Um, but um, he, he the, the, a lot of people know the early 80s film that absolutely terrified people. It was a Disney production. Uh, Something Wicked This Way Comes. That's it, yep. And uh, I'm actually working my way through Stephen King's It right now. Okay. And uh, I, I, of course, Stephen King was a huge Ray Bradbury fan. Mm. And there's allusions to Bradbury throughout Stephen King's work. And it's just uncanny to see the parallels between this kind of demonic entity that's haunting a village. Mm. Um, and he really uses all of the nuanced definitions of the word haunt in, in that book. Uh, but there are so many parallels that I'm seeing between Something Wicked This Way Comes and Stephen King's Z. Mm. That's a fascinating connection, and I'm sure that there are so many more connections to be made uh, this is an, a fascinating discussion and one that needs to continue uh, for all people, actually. And I would really encourage everybody to uh, at least get online to check out uh, the Bradbury Center. So it's if you're on Twitter or Facebook, it's at Bradbury Center. Uh, check out uh, their holdings. Check out the opportunities, uh, the programming that's taking place. As I mentioned, John Eller was uh, actually speaking yesterday and uh, I'm sure that some of those videos and teaching opportunities will be made available. Uh, in the last minute or so that we've got left here, Jason, I know you've got to go. You're working on a Ph.D. program, writing, reading today. Uh, tell us uh, just uh, something that you would like to leave with everybody that you want to make sure that everybody hears today about the Ray Bradbury Center. Oh, final thought. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. I should have had that prepared. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it really is just a wonderful place. We're, we're so fortunate to have this collection. A lot of people ask, why is this in Indiana? And the answer is Dr. John Eller. Mm. Um, it, John Eller was still an active scholar. The center was established long before we received the gifts in 2013. It was primarily a research archive, library, and the primary purpose was to encourage scholarly publication on the works of Ray Bradbury. Um, that our mission swi switched dramatically in 2013. We became a, a very... Uh, comprehensive archive in many respects, especially for the latter half of Bradbury's career. Um, but we also became a museum, and we were able to reconstruct Bradbury's basement office with original artifacts. Mm. Um, we are an unbudgeted part of the university, though. Um, the university pays for Dr. Eller's salary, and I'm working there as part of a, a graduate fellowship. Um, but we have to raise all of our own funds in order to preserve the collection. Mm. And the, the preservation needs are great. Some of mm. these manuscripts are seven decades old, uh, and seven decades old. And really, the opportunity to preserve them forever uh, is entering the 11th hour. And it's, it's too big of a project for just two people to do. So we're launching our planned giving campaign today, our annual giving campaign uh, for 2018. We're going to be sending out an email uh, later today. 
And so if you follow us on Twitter and Facebook, we don't ask for money all the time. We usually produce good information about Bradbury and, and turn people on to Bradbury and make them aware of what, the good work we're trying to do. Uh, but every once in a while, we ask for money. And today's one of those days where we're really asking people to come and be part of the mission mm. and um, be part of our work here. And every little bit helps. You know, mm. five or ten dollar gifts can make a world of difference because they add up quickly. Mm. That's a fantastic overview. You've been listening to Jason Aukerman, a professor at IUPUI here in downtown Indianapolis. Uh, Jason, thanks so much for uh, sharing with us about the Ray Bradbury Center and uh, providential good fortune to your reading and writing today. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That has been a theme uh, since I began this program. So <laughs> greatly appreciate you, Mark, the good perspective that you bring, and uh, would love to would love to come on again down the road. So, um, yeah, let's stay in touch. Absolutely. Thanks so much. We're going to be taking a one-song break, and when we come back, we'll be talking about the horror uh, genre of literature. Stay tuned. You're listening to Warp and Woof Radio, radionext.tv at the Cool Groove site. We'll be right back. And we are back in Warp and Woof Radio, radionext.tv, at the Cool Groove site. We come to you every Wednesday from 10 until noon. And this week we are discussing what everybody is thinking about, and that is the issue of Halloween, uh, horror movies, horror literature. We just had a tremendous uh, opportunity to talk with Jason Ackerman from the Ray Bradbury Center for 15 minutes. It was super to hear his voice and get him and his perspective on what's going on in the science fiction field and of course the great collection of Ray Bradbury artifacts and archive there at IUPUI's campus. We're grateful for having him on this morning. Dr. Clyde, how are you doing today? I'm blessed, my man. How are you? I am peachy keen now that you're here, man. Peachy Look out. <laughs> you sound like Ponzi from Happy Days. <laughs> Nobody can say we don't have a good time on this show, right? <laughs> We do laugh a lot. So uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, really the day, which is uh, Halloween, uh, talking about horror literature, uh, talking about horror movies perhaps. We'll get into some of these kinds of things. Uh, so Dr. Clyde, let me ask you, uh, you can uh, ask me questions later on if you'd like, but I, I'm just generally speaking, from your perspective, how do you uh, at your church deal with the issue of Halloween? I don't. You don't? You don't touch it at all? No. Okay. I don't. I don't. Uh, I, I believe, uh, and we, we, this, you know, our, our conversation will morph into the importance of expressing people's feelings through literature. Sure. As humanities guy, you know, I'm in favor of that. But I don't. I don't. I don't. Um, I don't celebrate Halloween. I don't. Um, I don't touch it. I don't. Um, you know, years ago, uh, my, my uh, one of my mentors, Dr. Troy Elad, I was a youth pastor, as you know, for mm -hmm. several years, and that church sent me through seminary, paid my way through seminary. Mm -hmm. And I was a youth pastor, and the youth were thriving and uh, growing, what I mean by thriving, growing in of God. Course, yeah. And um, I wanted to have a, uh, a what I call a hallelujah day at this on this day, mm -hmm. Halloween, to... Um, to give the kids who didn't trick or treat, whose parents didn't let them trick or treat, right. something to do with the church. So my, my my pastor at the time went in with this idea, and I was all going to go about. It. I'd written it out because you couldn't bring up the idea without a proposal. He said, uh, "This is well written. I'm glad to see our seminary dollars are doing some real <laughs> some some good." He said, "But we will under no circumstance have any celebration to offset Halloween." I said, "Why?" He said, "I will not have not, and I will not let." A 
a holiday with satanic origins prompt me to do anything. Okay. Is was his was his thought. I will not let I don't I don't feel that I have to respond, he said, to a holiday. I don't have to make a holiday because people who who do not who who who, who in my view have origins to, to promote such a day. Uh, so and so I've, I've held that. I don't I don't I don't really participate in, in Halloween. I don't I don't I just don't. Okay, and and that's really an important idea. Just for everybody uh, listening, as well as the podcast later, Facebook Live. There are different perspectives on how to deal with Halloween from a Christian point of view, and you just heard one very important one from a pastor uh, who deals with these these kinds of issues all the time. I think it's really important to hear that side. Let's, uh, as you well suggested, let's transition into the humanities issue and, and talk about uh, the importance of things like uh, science fiction literature, uh, the horror genre, and why that might be so important. Yeah, uh, I, I think, as you, I've said on this show, I think that uh, the humanities are uh, is the world's genre. I think that expression of thought and interpretation of those thought placed into literature and and and, and study the performances uh, the performance of those thoughts studied are very important. Uh, that's why uh, I mean we without 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 that process we don't have Mary Shirley mm-hmm. Mary Shelley rather mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and Frankenstein right uh, we, we we just don't and so I think that the thoughts and concerns and innermost feelings of people should always be placed on paper mm. or, pl- or or developed in film or the performances of those fears studied. Mm. And so um, I, I, um, I've not worked in the science, science fiction genre at all, although it is one of the humanities, but I absolutely believe in it. I think that science fiction movies, as, as well as, as much as any other movies, Express some of the innermost concerns, fears, sometimes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. imagination, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and and they help articulate some concerns that that, that some people may, may not otherwise be able to articulate. Mm-hmm. So I think they're valuable in what in what uh, in understanding humanity today mm-hmm. in existence. One of the opportunities, uh, Dr. Posley and I get opportunities to speak around town. And last night, evening, I was asked to speak at Marion University uh, concerning this very issue, uh, the issue of uh, gothic literature, of romantic literature. Um, Dr. Posley well suggested really the primary source for all of this, the one that probably is well best known outside of Dracula, which is Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. So last evening was the, uh, the inaugural uh, English speaker series, so we had an opportunity to speak on that. It was videotaped. We'll have those uh, DVD and digital uh, opportunities for that later on. Uh, so it was actually taped. So we're grateful for having those kinds of opportunities, and I think it's important for us to have these kinds of discussions on a day such as this, uh, on any day for that matter, <clears throat> to emphasize why, as Dr. Posley well says, uh, these kinds of things matter to human beings. Absolutely. Yeah. So when we talk about imagination, uh, let's talk about imagination in the general uh, direction maybe that that should go. Uh, I'll mention it from my perspective, take off in any direction you'd like to go. Imagination obviously based on the word image uh, from a Christian vantage point, this comes out of an image of God emphasis out of Genesis. Uh, The focal point of course is that people are creative because we've been created to be creative by a creator. Yeah, creator, So that's the crucial issue as we uh, think about imagination now. 
Uh, we also should be quick to say that because of Genesis 3, we also know that imagination has been warped and distorted and hardened and misdirected in so many different directions. Uh, but it's still important for us as Christians to engage in the literary field uh, to understand the great stories that other people uh, engage in, all people, all places, all cultures, all time. Absolutely. I, I, uh, I believe it's the 29th chapter of the book of Proverbs. It says where there is no vision, the people perish. I see imagination, imagination as vision, as people uh, can be seen as vision, shall I say, as people seeing themselves seeing their world around them uh, and I think one of the things that you hit on earlier Dr. Echo uh, is that vision is uh, imagination in our world today is tainted to some degree that's the influence of sin in mm -hmm. my view I think um, God the way God leads his people is by his spirit mm -hmm. and we don't see that mm -hmm. so it has to be it's a spiritual thing it has to be something that is going on in the imagination mm -hmm. Uh, in, in what we believe uh, so vision guides all of what we do I'm, I mean I'm a pastor and one of the things that I have I'm constantly uh, having to discuss with my parishioners is my vision what I'm trying to accomplish and and so as the Bible says about where there's no vision the people perish we have to keep in mind that we're led by vision and accept the fact uh, that sin and our flesh and our fleshly desires can taint our, our proper vision of moving forward so we have to keep ourselves in tune with the Word of God, in tune with the Holy Spirit, in tune with people who influence us to to hear from God and the Holy Spirit so that as we move by vision, it's not our vision. Mm. Whether it's politicians, pastors, uh, professors, we have to have a set of principles that guide our vision. Mm. And when, when principles, and, and we say all the time, the source of any of our knowledge the root of it should be scripture. Mm -hmm. We're Christians. So we have to have vision, Dr. Mm -hmm. Echo, that is influenced by biblical principles because when it's not, it's influenced by one of two things more than likely, flesh and fear. Mm -hmm. We really have come to a, a centerpiece of why it's important then to study literature, to be invested in the humanities, and that is to actually counter, uh, to stand against, to uh, at least stand in counter distinction to what other people actually believe in life. So when we talk about the humanities, just a, a, a thumbnail sketch of this, the humanities basically is a study of what it means to be a human being living in this world. And so when we think about the humanities from a Christian vantage point, we're responsible to invest uh, ourselves, uh, our thinking, uh, into that particular arena. And in my case, uh, last night and for a long time, I've been invested in, in Gothic literature. I teach a course on that for Indiana Wesleyan. It's a dual credit course for a high school class actually here in town. And what I find over and over and over again, and I think this is the real crucial uh, concern for me at least, is that every single time, in fact, it happened again on Monday in the class, I said, so from our reading so far in these five books, uh, what have you discovered? And to a person, they said, all of these young people, these students, seniors in high school said, we realize that the monster is not outside of us, the monster is us. Oh, yeah. And we are the yeah. problem. And so the, really, from a Christian vantage point, this is a crucial interconnection with those who uh, are in the world because actually uh, people in the culture believe that too. That, that is true. Interestingly enough, I just put a quote up from uh, Abraham Lincoln about... Uh, where he, where he suggested, I can't remember exactly where it came from, but I'll find it, 
where if America is ever destroyed, it will not be destroyed by an outside enemy, but it will be destroyed from within itself. Mm -hmm. and, and so that kind of goes in line uh, with the, his notion agrees with what, uh, what your students said. I, I agree. Our, our as science fiction, uh, it can be argued that the, the, the greatest, what, what propels science fiction as one of the humanities is such a powerful tool to, to study how to study human human existence is that science fiction puts pen and paper uh, uh, puts puts the expresses the fears on pen and paper and so when, when often what we see in science fiction movies and science fiction literature uh, in some of the greatest movies are actual imaginations uh, actually put to film about fears what if we're invaded mm -hmm. you know from mm -hmm. from uh, Mars yeah you know right. what I mean yep, yep. Or, you know or, or what what if what if there is a a, a Cyclops mm -hmm. what you know what what, what if what if Gulliver travels were a reality mm -hmm. you know what what if all these things were true as you sailed the seven seas the imagination is just a it's just a it's just imagine it's just a powerful thing. It is, uh, it, and something I think that's important for everybody to understand is when we're talking about this. This isn't something that uh, you know we're just kind of grabbing at out of thin air. This stuff has existed for millennia, absolutely. for thousands of years. So uh, you were just uh, mentioning some ancient myths. Let's begin where we ought to begin, which is back in Genesis again. When we talk about, uh, let's say, for instance, the Enuma Elish, the famous uh, Babylonian epic of creation or the flood, uh, we, we really are seeing something that was already established in Genesis. In Genesis, we see uh, the great story of uh, the sea creatures and uh, the water, which was often seen as chaos in the ancient world. Uh, all of these things are kind of set up for us, but in Genesis 1, God's in charge. There is no question as to who's the sovereign here. Right. But in all other mythologies, everything's up for grabs. Nobody knows who's going to win at the end of the day. Right. That is true. You brought up a really interesting point, Dr. Echo. You know, I've always believed, you know, that actually science fiction is some person's variation or interpretation of what the Bible actually says. There it is, right there. That's it. I really believe that. It's an aberration. Uh, me, I mean, Muslims, uh, Krishnas, uh, several other religious sects have versions of creation, the flood, uh, and uh, other catastrophes, or if you want to call it catastrophe, we don't necessarily want to call it catastrophe because the hand of God is always doing what is best for his people. But, uh, but, but there's some variation. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that's what makes, and, and they should be allowed. Mm -hmm. We don't have to agree with them. Right. See, that, that's one of, the, one of the joys of, of, of working in the humanities genre. Mm -hmm. I don't have to agree with a person's interpretation or the creation of their mind, but the last thing I should do is to stop them from creating. That's right. I think nothing rips, up, separates the human soul from being, uh, from striving to be as his creator he is. Other, uh, more than ripping the ability to create away from the human soul. Yeah, to celebrate what people have done, even if we disagree even with if we it, disagree. is important. So if somebody writes something, 
we're going to celebrate the fact that they wrote something because, doggone it, writing is hard. Oh, my God. Absolutely. <laughs> can, can we get an true. amen? Absolutely. It's, it's not, you know, a lot of people, and I know we don't want to someone stay there, but a lot of people think that writing is simply putting something down, putting some ideas down. Yeah. To, art, to even articulate your own thoughts on, onto paper and cause them to make sense, even though you know what you're thinking, is a task. It's a, per it's paragraph, a, per sentence. That's right. You know? Yeah, I tell my students, I'm teaching a writing course, of course, and I tell mm -hmm. my students, sometimes a word, you just keep the word because you think to yourself, I'm going to use that word right, sometime absolutely. in the future. I, have a, I, have a, I don't have it here today, but when you see me carry that little pad, yeah. I write down a word. Maybe maybe something you'll say, something I'll say. I want, I want to keep that. Something I hear, something I read, something I'm listening to, uh, because we, we all belong to each other, whether we like it or not. You know, we all belong to each other, and we're all speaking and growing from each other or being suppressed by each other, however you want to look mm -hmm. at it at a given time. One of the things that I think is important to mention, uh, and this is specific to the issue of uh, the literature that we study, uh, just I wanted to mention the five books that I study in this class with these students and then kind of go off that, but I wanted to mention that we study Dracula, Frankenstein, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which is actually entitled The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and yes, Mr. Hyde, and then the picture of Dorian Gray, and finally the island of Dr. Moreau. Those are the five books that we study, and I wanted to come back to the to the question of what if. Now, in oh. the first 15 minutes of our show today, we had a great call-in guest, Jason Ackerman, who works at the Ray Bradbury Center on the campus of IUPUI. It was a great uh, piece, and for those of you listening, want to pick up on the uh, podcast later on. Jason had some great things to say. But one of the keys to all science fiction writing is that question, what if? What if this were to happen? Uh, and then to expand on that. So let's think about that from a theological vantage point. There are two basic uh, directions that we see uh, Scripture going in terms of prophecy, that is foretelling something into the future. We see one of them as destructive, judgmental, what some people would refer to as apocalyptic, some awfulness in the future. Uh, and of course we understand that God will bring judgment upon uh, sin. But we also see salvation, redemption. Uh, there is one who is coming back for his people again. And we see this, by the way, all the way through science fiction. In terms of prophecy relative to scripture writing. Right, exactly. Okay. We see these same two things pop up all the time. So if you're going to talk about science fiction writing that is very uh, positive in terms of uh, uh, beneficence or some kind of generosity to human beings, we might look at something as simple as E.T., uh, which was this wonderful creature who came to Earth who wanted to help people. But of course, most of what science fiction does is horrific and it's uh, literally judgmental. So you have these alien creatures that are attacking Earth and so on. Of course, the great alien series. All I'm suggesting by going through all of that is to say, even those scientific or science fiction movies actually are borrowing from the theological basis oh, no of judgment and apocalypse mm -hmm. uh, and awfulness. Or as the ultimate end. The ultimate they, end they, of those In other words, you're a different way of saying what you're saying is they're all eschatological in one way or another. That's right. They all come, they're all talking about, they all express the thought, the thought that there's a culmination, an understanding of a culmination in the minds right. of, of, human, of of most people. Of that's human. right. Absolutely. Yes. And when we talk about eschatology, by the way, that's a big old word, simply means end time. So the things that will happen when all of life or time is over. And oh, by the way, we want to make sure to give you just a, a pause here for five seconds to utter 
your most important <laughs> word. <laughs> I forgot my ontology no, it, jar it, today. It, got to be, it has to be placed. It, it has to fit. You, can't, you, you cannot be. You I can't cannot, force you can't that. Can't be huh? disrespected and, and just placed anywhere. Just for those of you who don't know, don't hear us all the time. Uh, we're speaking about a one particular word that Dr. Posley loves to use on a regular basis, actually every single show, but we're not going to force him to use it today, we'll just let it come out naturally. So let's come back to the issue of Gothic literature again and the importance of this, because one of the things that uh, we know from uh, reading, just simply reading, is that we have this uh, constant understanding in some literature of fear and dread and some uh, awfulness that will take place. Uh, Something Wicked This Way Comes was a book that was just mentioned. Of course, the Disney film, uh, of course, from this particular book was also mentioned this morning with Jason. Uh, these are important concepts. Uh, so let's talk about the importance of literature getting after some of these ideas of fear and concern for the future and for ourselves as human beings. Yeah, I, I really believe that there's a relation, that there's an intersectionality uh, between uh, sci-fi literature, movies, and the uh, the course that co some cultures can take relative, or the American society for that matter. I believe, and, and again, these are my notions here. You know, I, I believe from Orson Welles to to um, the Star Wars sequels. I, I think that, that cultures and society are influenced by some of the imagery and suggest and, and they and, and that, which ultimately can become suggestive thought mm -hmm. to people uh, by literature by some of the major themes and and if and and, and arguably it can be made that they um, some sci-fi some literature some sci-fi historically as I mentioned people like Orson Welles and, and uh, I can't H.G. Wells H.G. Wells yeah, yeah. That's, that's it I said Orson Welles H.G. Yeah, was, yeah. Um, um, can feed into what Lacan calls master narratives. Mm. That's that, 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 that possibly the, some of the sci-fi literature that's produced, some of the movies that are produced at a given, at a given time, yes. coincides with sometimes what some of, the political, some of the dominant political themes are, and therefore become signifiers. Mm -hmm. Signifiers of a grander, Mm -hmm. uh, and, 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 and one can disagree. The audience can disagree. It's understandable. It's, it's understandable. Um, that's why we have the show. What we, what, we, what we do need to consider, and that's not necessarily negative. Mm -hmm. Sometimes uh, the, the the perceived grand narrative of happiness in a society can influence the literature, the movies, uh, even even some preaching. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I frown on that. You know, but but I, I see guys who who preach the gospel relative more relative to the times mm -hmm. than they do the, the fundamental truth of Jesus Christ being mm -hmm. the Savior. Yeah. And I, Well, you do need to influence, some of your sermons need to be influenced by some of the social justice things going on, in my view. Uh, we have to be careful not to um, allow um, imagination to run wild and be totally influenced by what's going on outside. But yeah, I, I, I think um, I, I think there's a relationship. Mm. The, the issue that we're really confronting here is that our theology should drive our sociology, not yes. the other way around. Right, right. And if you if you look around, if you if if, if you if you look around, we we live we're living in a world today 
where most of the, at least the preachers that I hear when I'm on mm. uh, social media, or I go around different places, I don't hear a lot of um, uh, happiness preaching. What I mean by that is preaching to an end, a happy end that Christ will bring. Mm -hmm. You know, there. I, I think of political uh, climate today. Uh, 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 it's, it's dampening preaching. I have to catch myself. I have to make sure that I don't allow political climates, personal views, and other things in my own imagination mm -hmm. cloud my responsibility to my parishioners. Mm. Now, this is an important task that you have every single Sunday, by the way. And speaking about imagination and creation, uh, just a shout out to all pastors, including the one sitting next to me, that uh, the expectation of parishioners is that you create a brand new work of art every single Literally. week. Literally. Literally. Well, yeah. Yeah, and this is something that... And for, we do. And we do. <laughs> and for those of us who actually understand that, we give you high marks for this. But for all those of you listening, I think it's important for you to recognize that this is something that uh, it, the expectations of church leaders and, uh, and of their pastors and so on is beyond the pale when it comes to imagination and creativity. Let me bring, back, uh, bring us back... I don't even back. know if they know. Pardon me? I don't even know if they know. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I'm just thinking, I don't know if parishioners even know... They don't get it. ...that yeah. they are asking right. them to bring them in mm -hmm. a masterpiece, mm -hmm. a, a, not a recreation... Right, but an, in, an 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 original new creation mm -hmm. every Sunday. New illustrations, new illustrations, new work, exactly. new exegesis, all of the rest of that. That's, Absolutely, that's, that's a great point. Well, you Go know, ahead, let me come over. I'll come over and preach that if you'd like me to. <laughs> you know, this might be necessary. So, <laughs> yeah, just for all of the church people out there, we love you. We care about you. Oh, just. Yeah. Just understand that uh, what happens every single Sunday is a lot of work during the week. Uh, so getting back to the issue of, of Gothic literature, uh, let me suggest a few of the things that I said last night at the Marion University uh, uh, piece that we did. It was really nice to be there at the inaugural event of the English Speaker Series. By English, I mean that the subject of study. And so when we talk about uh, Gothic literature last night, uh, I actually talked about not only these books that I just mentioned a few moments ago, but how they interrelate with the life uh, that we now live. So uh, because I'm a movie guy, there's a lot of uh, interconnection to movies, but there was also a, a lot of connection to uh, life. Uh, here's just two examples. Uh, one of the examples I talked about was the importance of understanding uh, how important consequence is in the humanities. That is, when you're reading these novels, these folks like an H.G. Wells, for instance, is saying, if you answer the what if and you answer it in the wrong way, there can be severely damaging consequences, not only for uh, human beings, but also for the world. And then uh, another point that I was making last night had to do with history, and that one of the things that uh, drives uh, science fiction is not the future per se, it's actually these writers are looking back at history and they're saying, okay, if we continue down this road into the future, where we've come from historically, we're going to be in some real trouble. So the problems that we face, really, uh, in the world that, that uh, you preach in every Sunday, that, I, that I'm teaching in in my Sunday school classes every Sunday, uh, relate to these two ideas, that uh, Gothic literature deals with the consequence of what happens in our choices, and then also the history and what happens if we're not careful about our history. All of those are, all of those are influences. I can't, I can't speak too much to the Gothic uh, literature, uh, but I was, I was thinking what you were saying 
brought to my mind how there's so many influences to sci-fi uh, uh, literature, movies, mm -hmm. whatever the case. E even uh, uh, if you look at uh, the games, mm -hmm. the video games. Yeah, yeah. That, that's at, our, this is our guest. If you, look, if you look at the uh, video games, there's more. They, they even have mass shooting games. Yes. You know. Yeah, that's right. Which is which we hope stays sci which will remain sci-fi. Right. You know, but, uh, you know, with all of this is influencing uh, the minds of, of creators, mm -hmm. game show, of, uh, uh, video game creators, mm -hmm. which is which is an expression of art. I don't have to agree with it, but it's an expression of art. And so there's so, the point I'm making is there's just so many influences uh, to uh, in, in sci-fi I, I just, you know, honestly, I, I, you know, I'm glad to see, I'm glad that there are believers in the genre, like yourself. Yes. Because if you eradicate a Christian perspective from that genre, mm -hmm. what do we have? This is an important point that you're making. I, I think we'll end here with this, uh, just our first hour here today. Uh, this concept of uh, Christians being invested and involved. Mm -hmm. And we're talking here today about gothic horror literature. We're talking about horror movies. We're, our guest coming in is going to be talking about Heartland Films and the importance of, of movies and the culture. They just had their, uh, their great uh, fall series take place. Uh, but we need to be invested in our culture. And so that, I think, is an important point to make. It's salt. And it, yeah, we're salt. We're preservatives of the culture. And so the concepts that we bring forward to unbelieving people, to folks who think differently than us, everybody needs to hear those kinds of things. And that's an important idea. Right. Last words here in our first hour? No, no. I, it would have been, that, those were my last words. Oh, those were your last words. Right. All that, right. That's, that's what, you know, I think it's important to respect the, the uh, it, it, all creativity. Yes. Um, uh, but I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm a child of God. I'm a king, person of the kingdom. And, and I want to make sure that we cause all of our listeners, and maybe they're young listeners uh, out there, uh, be creative, but be, be, be a child of God. Mm. Yeah, and use the salt shaker, as, uh, <laughs> as my brother here has just well suggested. <laughs> You're listening to Warp and Woof Radio, radionext.tv at the Cool Groove site. Our guest just came in. Danny Wright is here with us today. One of the great film reviewers here uh, from the Heartland Film Festival, uh, also a churchman here in the inner city. We're grateful for his presence. We'll be talking with him, interviewing him here in the second hour about his work in and around the city. You're listening to Warp and Woof Radio at RadioNext.tv at the Cool Groove site. We're going to take a two-song break, get some pictures taken, and we'll be back. And we are back. Warp and Woof Radio at RadioNext.tv at the Cool Groove site. We are here every Wednesday from 10 until noon, and we are now here in our second hour, Facebook Live, Podcast Live, uh, folks listening to us across the country and around the world, actually. Uh, we are here in our second hour talking with Danny Wright, who is a churchman uh, here in the city of Indianapolis. And Danny, I think it's appropriate that everybody understand why you're dressed the way you are, so why don't you give them uh, an understanding there? Well, uh, it was on October 31st. Uh, I believe it was 1517, that um, Martin Luther uh, attacked the 95 Theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany. And there is some discussion about the tacking and all of those kinds of things, but we'll leave that for another another time. But um, So, of course, we celebrated 500 years of the Reformation last year. Um, 
and I pulled this wonderful monk's robe out for that and took some pictures on my Instagram site. Uh, I'm at Yeti Monk on Instagram. Okay. And um, we'd love to have you guys follow me on that. Um, and so I think every year I'm going to pull this back out because anytime I can have conversations about the kingdom that intersect with mm-hmm. culture, uh, I want to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a fun way to be that's able to do That's what we do here. Yep, that's right. That's exactly it. We spent our first hour talking really about uh, imagination, creativity, and the humanities. Mm-hmm. Dr. Clyde and I are uh, both invested, especially in the humanities areas. Um, so, Danny, in this second hour, we want to give you a stage to talk about uh, what you do here in the city uh, but why don't we start by uh, talking about what just happened here recently in the last couple of weeks. We had something here in Indianapolis that doesn't happen anyplace else, which is the Heartland Film Festival. Yes. Uh, tell us about the Heartland Film Festival generally, and then any stories you want to engage with us. Well, um, you could, I'll probably have you ask me questions because there are so okay. many stories to tell. But okay. um, it is now called the Heartland International Film Festival. Oh, international, okay. And uh, so um, I'm on the Documentary Features Committee, and mm-hmm. I've been doing that for a number of years. I started with their Shorts Committee uh, and then moved into the um, Documentary Features, and I tell you, I hope I'm never not on the, uh, it's a double negative, but anyway, well, I guess we'll forget <laughs> that. I, I hope I'm always on the, um, the uh, Documentary Features Committee because mm-hmm. I get to watch some of the most amazing films. Now, uh, we're the first line of defense as the Documentary Features Committee, so we see the good films and the bad films. Okay. Uh, But then um, we will pass along those good films to the next level, and then they get moved through different levels until finally they get uh, nominated for the actual festival, which takes place over a couple of weeks in October, about 10 days in October. Uh, Right now, they're currently using the sites at Newfields, which is the old um, art museum. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's the new name for the art museum. Uh, in the IMA, and uh, they also use uh, Traders Point AMC, and they use the Castleton AMC, mm. and uh, so I, it's just fantastic. They bring me, bring in filmmakers from all over the world, and uh, they'll show films and they have Q and As, and it's been the most uh, wonderful experience for me uh, to be able to. Uh, I actually drive for them and do hospitality mm. suite for them, and so I, I pick up people from the uh, airport. Uh, this year, and I drive them to the Marriott Courtyard up in Castleton, and we get to have conversations about life and (laughs) culture and about the world, and, um, you know, I was able to pick up filmmakers from Belgium, Uh, I picked up filmmakers from Poland before, Um, and also uh, driving guys around, uh, uh, you know, ladies and gentlemen around from uh, here in America, from New York, from L.A., all kinds of things. Mm. You referenced, uh, while we were off air there for a little bit, or I still on Facebook Live, uh, about a guy that I picked up um, at the airport this past week, uh, my kind of guy, because he showed up in a pair of shorts. Uh, <laughs> when I'm not wearing this, it's shorts. Um, and so um, he was a great guy. He gets in the car. I have no idea who I'm picking up, mm-hmm. and we start to discuss things. And he was here with a documentary called Howard, and uh, and so we started talking about that for a minute. And then he began to tell me that he worked for Disney, mm. and he'd been working for Disney for like 30 or 35 years and uh, that he had worked on films like The Lion King, mm. and he had worked on Beauty and the Beast, which mm. had an Oscar nomination, and he talked about how cool it was to be Oscar, you know, nominated for an Oscar. Mm. And uh, we just had a great conversation, and uh, he then went to say, hey, um, I'm actually working on the live-action Lion King right now. Mm. And he said, with John Favreau. And I said, oh. <laughs> I said, and Donald Glover. Mm. I love Donald Glover. 
And so he said, yes. And I said, what do you think about Donald Glover? He said, I love Donald Glover. <laughs> and so we talked about the Childish Gambino. We talked about Atlanta. We talked about other things that Glover was doing and, and just how wonderful he was to work with. And um, it was just a great conversation, mm. um, which led me into being able to tell him a story about my daughter, who works at Cake Bake in um, Broderville. And she was able to work a late-night event with uh, the off-Broadway production of Lion King recently. Nice. And mm, um, nice. they all came and uh, enjoyed some wonderful cake at Cake Bake. And, uh, and they told her, said, hey, if you come, we'll give you a backstage tour. And uh, her boss was generous enough to buy her tickets the Aww, next evening. Nice. And not only just tickets, but she bought front row seats oh, for my. these guys. Wow. And then, of course, she got to go back and to see these people she'd seen the night before. It was just a wonderful experience. Nice. And it was also nice to hear John talk about that because I told him that story, and he said, that's a wonderful production company that's putting that mm-hmm. on. And it's just so great to find out those stories behind the scenes mm-hmm. and to be able to see the appreciation that there is in, uh, you know, f- from one area of the industry of arts and entertainment to another mm-hmm. and to be able to uh, have those conversations around mm-hmm. those kinds of things. When you think about this, and one of the things that, that uh, Dr. Posley and I were talking about in the first hour was how important it is for Christians to be engaged in the culture. And so let's talk about that for a moment, because I don't think that everybody really gets it, um, why it's important, let's say, for instance, to be invested in movies. Uh, tell us your, your Christian philosophy of why you uh, are invested in this field. Well, um, I read a lot of nonfiction. And I know I need to read more fiction, um, and I need to interact with more fiction on the page because that makes you a better writer. It makes you a better. Uh, it makes you a person who understands life better. Mm. Uh, but um, my nonfiction takes up most of my time, mm-hmm. so I choose to get my fiction from movies, and um, and I go to films in order to be more deeply connected with the human condition. Ooh, the human condition. Yes, and. Mm. And it's so amazing. Like, I, I happened to see mid-90s this past Sunday evening. And um, and Jonah Hill has put together this film, written, produced by him, and directed partly by him. Um, and it just, they sort of drop you into the skater culture in Los Angeles hmm. in the mid-90s. Okay. We believe 95, uh, I was reading online, they believe it was 95 because of a particular album cover that shows up. Hmm. And it came out in 95, so they're thinking, well, it's 95 or somewhere right around hmm. there. And the film just does an excellent job of putting you into this culture and helping you to experience what these students were going through and how they acted and interacted and the community that they built and the questions that they had. Now, I mean, again, it is, uh, it is NSFW for many people who would, you know, uh, if, they're, if they're concerned with language, if they're concerned with, you know, some other, in, you know, other things that were involved. Mm-hmm. But what was powerful was um, my soul is still in the mid-90s. Mm. Mm. I, I'm driving around today and I'm thinking mm. about what it was like for those students, mm-hmm. for those skaters. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, what would happen if we loved them? Mm. And if we loved them well? And we realize that that culture still exists. Um, mm. And we need to interact with that culture. Mm. And we need to see them for who they are, not for how they present themselves. Mm-hmm. And so you get into this idea that, I mean, Jonah just left us there, too. Mm. Because the movie ends, and you are still in their predicament. Wow. 
And so there's no resolution, is what you're suggesting. Yeah, there's no resolution. There's no resolution. But you know okay. what? In life, we're left yeah. in that place without resolution. Yeah. We will eventually find resolution. Mm. But to put me there mm. makes me care for them mm-hmm. and to connect with them on a level that I have not been able to before. Mm. And it helps me to see from a different angle and a different viewpoint. And I think it helps me to love mm. more effectively. Mm. And, um, I mean, I believe Jesus would have been a person who, who would have loved a movie. Mm-hmm. Because he loves people. And, and we are interested in, in caring for them as they are, where they are. Mm-hmm. But we love them enough not to leave them where they are. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, that's one of the things I, I, I enjoy film for. Um, and it just, it, I, I am so thankful for the ability, I, you know, um, IMDb is wonderful mm-hmm. because after I watch a film, sometimes during the movie I'm taking notes, and I'll take notes, and then if I'm taking students with me um, to the film, we'll have a conversation afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'll have an opportunity to write on my web page or something like that where we can where we can continue to interact with the film and have continued conversation. A good film. I was at a wonderful place on 37 this morning at uh, at Wheeler's Truck Stop at 37 and 13 and we just had the best conversation about film mm. and we talked about we talked about how good art creates conversation mm. and so we want to be able to develop that conversation and continue that conversation after we're gone and this lady said that she had watched a movie recently and uh, her name's Angie uh, go see them Nick and Angie up at uh, Wheeler's and she said um, she said you know I, I was two days later 48 hours later I'm still in the middle Mm-hmm. Of what they provided in that film, and yeah. I'm like, yes, yeah, that's what it's about. Yeah, yeah you, you mentioned something earlier that Mark and I had talked about uh, in the first segment of our show when you said that uh, that it, that skater movie left you in the '90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, we maybe Mark, it can be said that uh, one of the driving forces behind good uh, sci-fi production or writing. Is the quest of the human soul? Mm. Yes, absolutely. For resolution, because mm. uh, we're seldom in, in a movie is everyone annihilated. In, even a, sci- a sci-fi movie, there right. is normally some end mm-hmm. uh, to to it that it that is in, at least in the producer's mind a great resolution for all. Mm-hmm. And so maybe uh, good sci-fi uh, production, whether it be literature or, or or movies, finds a way. Uh, for us all to get along, mm-hmm. uh, to, to 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 have a great ontology together. <laughs> oh, I like that. He's been brought out ontology. See, yeah. I haven't met you until just recently. I'm in. I, I'm just well, loving. My, the well, my lather's up when I use that word. <laughs> I'm, ready, I'm ready to go. So yeah. Can. All right. Bring it on. <laughs> you know, some people have swear jars. I'm going to bring an ontology jar. <laughs> He's right. going to put in a dollar every time uh, he uses the word ontologically. <laughs> yeah. There we go. So. Let's talk. Let's pick up on the resolution theme, though. Um, yeah. Yeah. Why? Why is it? Do you think that uh, it's important to have resolution, or flip it around? Why it's important not to have resolution in whatever film we might be interested in? Well, I, I'm probably <coughs> going to always lean towards the films that don't have resolution. Okay. Uh, because I appreciate the opportunity. Do what? You're a sequel guy, then. Well, no, not necessarily. Okay. I'm okay if you leave me and never come back. Okay. You know, it's just it's just this idea like, <laughs> okay, my favorite movie, I was asked this morning, so I'll go ahead and throw it out, is No Country for Old Men, okay. which is a brilliant movie. Cormac McCarthy is a magnificent writer. Yep. Uh, if you have never uh, seen or heard or read um, 
the Sunset Limited. Oh my, that's fantastic. <laughs> I would tell you, please see it, the HBO <laughs> special with uh, Samuel L. Jackson and with Tommy Lee Jones, mm -hmm. but also you need to read it read to because read it's it, brilliant yeah. Yeah. and it'll, it doesn't take long. Sit down in a coffee shop, you know, finish it. Um, it's just great. Um, but see, when, when No Country for Old Men, it actually changed the way I watched it. And so when No Country for Old Men ended, I was in this place where I was like, no, no, I, I don't want you to end. Because this world that the Coen brothers, who are brilliant, had created, put me in a place where I was like, so pensive about my own ontology. <laughs> you know, it's contagious. It is. And so I'm there, and I'm like, and there was somebody behind me who said, there were two guys behind me. Uh, the first guy said, I want my money back. And the second guy goes, do you think he killed that woman? Oh, my word. And I went, I so desperately wanted to turn around and go, gentlemen, <laughs> there are Disney movies showing up here all the time, and you should probably just stick with yeah, them. Exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. Wow. But, first of all, McCarthy, like means something to McCarthy. Mm -hmm. So whenever McCarthy mentions like, regardless of how, mm -hmm. how little light is there, Mm -hmm. You know, you need to know that it's there. Yep. And so hope still exists at the end of that film for anybody who doesn't see the hope. Um, you know, evil, greed, and justice collide. Mm -hmm. And and it is a it is a big bang. It's a mess. It's it is a, a mess. big bang. And so, um, so I, I mean, it just was this, it, it was so powerful to me. And, yeah, I hope there's never a sequel to it. <laughs> because you have to have those conversations. You, you know, your it, imagination be the sequel. It is, yeah. and and it invites into that. It invites into this place where you can say one thing. You know, like collateral beauty. A lot of people didn't appreciate collateral beauty. I did. I did as well. It was magnificent. Absolutely. I cried and cried. I did too. And cried. <laughs> I mean, it was just. It was so moving. Yeah. And and the twists. Um, one of the twists towards the end, I was like, I was not ready for that. Right. And I, I love it when they right. get me. Because, you know, we're trying to pay attention and to see the twist before it comes. Absolutely. And that one just... Never would you have thought. No, it blindsided. would end that way. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, but then the the actual ending ending is right. powerful. When the three people who represent the inanimate objects that he was writing right. are standing on the bridge in Central Park. By the way, first of all, Central Park. Really? I mean... I mean, I cried because can, of can that. You go wrong, right? <laughs> no, no, you no. go wrong. Can you go wrong with Central Park in your room? Yeah, at yeah, night. Yeah. At night. Yes, right. it's just mm -hmm. And so, but what was beautiful was my daughter and I still disagree over whether or not they were real people or whether they were supernatural elements brought into the story. Which mm -hmm. means it's a great movie. It great, is, great, right? mm -hmm. and and so yeah, it's really powerful to be able to have those moments. And so yeah, I think when you, it's okay to resolve a film every once in a while. But I'm going to tend to lean towards those ones that don't resolve because they invite more conversation. Mm -hmm. They invite more investment from me as a viewer. Yeah, that's where I'm, I'm going. Whether they were real or not, the point is they exist in the human imagination. The yes. concepts that they represent exist in, exist in the human imagination. And they all, in the imagination of Will Smith, led him to his healing. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And... To even more than his healing, right. his right. his not just his healing, but his healing with others. That's right, and their healing. Yes, That's absolutely. Right. That's right. That's right. So, Cormac McCarthy, The Sunset Limited, and seriously, if you've never read it, you have first of all you have to read it, then you have to see it. 
I've got the book and the movie if you ever want to borrow it. I, I can loan you two. Yeah, there yeah, you go. So there so, you go, a couple free loans, right? Yeah, there. that's right. And Cormac McCarthy, hands down, is one of the greatest uh, writers as far as I'm concerned. But anyway, that's a, that's a whole other discussion. Again, uh, we're here with Danny Wright here today, and we're going to be taking a one-song break. And when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation about movies, about his uh, investment here in and around Indianapolis. Uh, you're seeing a picture of a man dressed as a monk in thankfulness for the Reformation of uh, so many years ago at the Wittenberg Doors. You well, so well pronounced it. Thank you very much. We're going to be coming right back. Warp and Woof Radio, RadioNext.tv at the Cool Groove site. We'll be right back. Warp and Woof Radio, RadioNext.tv at the Cool Groove site. I want you all to know that uh, everybody watching Facebook Live, uh, pick up the podcast later, that uh, this is the very first time in Warp and Woof Radio history that we have actually had a guest High five, Dr. Posner. I just want you to know, we have it. We captured it. It's, yeah, it's fantastic. So uh, you want to come back and rewatch that again. That was a fantastic high five. Uh, so off air, obviously, uh, you know, we're coming back in now. Facebook Live has been listening to the conversation. Uh, Danny, you were talking about uh, the problem of what some Christians do and checking out. And by checking out of a film, what do you mean by that? And tell us why that is or isn't right to do. Well, I, I mean, we were discussing the fact that I believe that we never disengage our brains. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that Christ has has given us this understanding and that, that we take that with us everywhere we go. Mm -hmm. And people go, would you watch that movie with Jesus? <laughs> well, yeah, he was there. Mm -hmm. And, of course, uh, because we can watch it. Yeah, and, and yes, and... And he was with the people. Oh, oh you know, taking me somewhere. So I, I hopefully I'll get back to answering okay. that question. Sorry. But what I love is um, Elizabeth Barrett Browning said this many years ago in one of her poems. It was a stanza that I that still transforms my life today. Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush afire with God. Mm. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit round and pluck blackberries. Mm -hmm. I tell students all the time, there ain't nothing wrong with blackberries. I mean, you can make cobbler, you can make pies, you can make, I mean, you know, you could just eat blackberries, but you could add sugar, I mean, you know, whatever you want to do, and they're wonderful. But why would I want to feast on blackberries when I could be feasting on the divine? That's right. And the bushes are always burning. Mm. God is continuously sending messages. Um, Josh Larson uh, wrote a book called Movies Are Prayers. I love what he says. He talks about nine different types of prayers that you should be looking for when you watch a film. And, and basically, he, he describes prayer simply as this. It is the exhalation of the spirit of man and the inhalation of the spirit of God. And he said, it doesn't matter whether your pen is pagan or whether it is Christian. God is using you to reach people in this world with a message. Hmm. And so, you know, we are not supposed to disengage our brains. We should keep them engaged. And we, we go into a film with our eyes wide open. And we are there to experience what they're trying to tell us. Sometimes I'm going to agree with them 100%. Sometimes I'm going to disagree with them 98%. <laughs> and so I just need to understand, and, and I take the learning points from that. And that gives me those opportunities for discussion with people everywhere. Because here's the thing. The Apostle Paul in Acts 17 uh, was in Athens, and he carefully walked through the city noticing their objects of worship. The word there in the community. Yes. Yeah. And no, the word there is diarchomai, as he passed through, okay, in the Greek. And so he says he passed through, noticing their objects of worship, and then he took that 
altar to an unknown God, and he said, I want to introduce you to the God that you should be worshiping. He quotes the zero mm-hmm. scriptures. Mm-hmm. The only thing he quotes are pagan poets. Mm-hmm. If we can't quote the pagan poets, how are we going to be able to walk through this world and be able to have meaningful conversation with people? Because if all we know is, is the scriptures, we're going to have a hard time bridging those conversations. Mm-hmm. Being and a priest, by the way, is a bridge builder. Mm-hmm. Say, say, say that again. I want the audience to hear that. If we only know the scripture. If we only know the scriptures, we're never going to be able to bridge the cultural gap to have the real conversations that make all of the difference mm-hmm. in this world and bring people to, to meet the God who loves them and wishes that none would perish but that all would come to repentance. He just made the case for connecting theology and the humanities. Mm-hmm. That's right. And it has to be done that way mm-hmm. because, because that's the way, you know, and the word, okay, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The word was, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. You know, there was nothing made without him that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of man. And it drops down a few verses later, and the Apostle John writes, And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, as of the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You want to talk about somebody who knew how to interact with culture? <laughs> That's what He did. That's right. He came and He put our skin on so that He could know. He was tempted in all ways like we are, yet He was without sin. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He knows how we feel. And that's what film does. It takes you to that place to be able to understand where other people are coming from. And you might walk out of that film and go, you know, I wasn't so sure I liked those kind of people or the people who did that. Or I never was able to understand why they would do that. And now you come out of the Did I see me? Yeah. Did I see me? Is that, am I like that? Yeah. Oh, man, those are those awful moments. (laughs) When you see somebody doing something and you're like, that's stupid. Well, it's that moment that David had. Well, he looks at Nathan and he goes, well, let me know who that man is. And he goes, you're the man. You're the man. And way too often, my brother, I am the man. And I hate that. But, but see, that's what it does, too. It does help us understand when we are the man. And when we should never be that man ever again. Um, I, don't know, I don't know if the people saw Black Klansman or not, but Black Klansman was amazing. I didn't see it. It was powerful. I, it was my, it's my favorite Spike Lee movie, and I just I was moved well, I to see it. Well, I did to see it. I was doing stuff. Well, and at the end of that movie, I was so blown away. I was just like I sat in the theater, and I actually raised my hands, and I'm just like this. I mean, it took me to a place of prayer. It took me to a place of worship. It took me to a place of where I was like, and I had a young gentleman who's a young college student, a freshman, and he made a comment, and I went. I can't believe you'd make that comment after this movie. <laughs> and so that opened up the conversation for us to be able to, to again, bridge that bridge that gap. Um, but I was back back just a minute ago, if you'll allow me. I'm sorry, my mind. I, I jump around pretty bad. Um, but I, I'm pretty abstract, random. But I tell you, I mentioned that D'Ercomon, he went, he passed through the city, noticing those objects of worship. I was writing a paper recently for graduate school. And I'm at the end of this uh, paper, and the Lord said to me, um, hey, isn't there another passage of scripture you really like that summarizes Jesus' life. And I'm like, mm, I mean, in Acts 10, I really like what Corn- what Peter had to say to Cornelius and the people gathered at his home. And so I go over there and it's talking about Jesus of Nazareth, how he was full of the Holy Spirit and power. And it says he went around doing good. Right here we are, talking about doing good. He said he went around doing good, healing those who were under the power of the devil. What a better concept to think about than that on all, 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 all 
All Hallows' Eve. Mm -hmm. Okay, he went around healing all of those who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Guess what? He went around his diarchomite. And that connection with Acts 17 and that concept that we've talked about with culture is still ringing in my soul today. Mm. Yeah, you couldn't ever tell you really cared about this stuff. Right? Well, I know. <laughs> I'm wondering if he loves the Lord or something. <laughs> or something. <laughs> so I, I apologize to somebody today about something that they, they said, well, at least you're not passionate about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we would never come away thinking you were passionless, that's for yeah, sure. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, coming back around to the question that I asked 15 minutes ago. But <laughs> Sorry, Mark. <laughs> That's okay, Danny. That's why you're here, man. Let it fly. So uh, this, this issue of the, the necessity of engaging your mind, you really did address this, you know, generally speaking. But tell, tell Christians why it is. I mean, from your vantage point, why it is that they must, they must engage uh, Christians or, or engage film as a Christian uh, in this particular culture we live in? Well, I, I think where I want to go with this answer, and this might not be where you want me to go, but we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Jesus has given us that commission. Many people would say that you could say as we go. Mm. And it's time for us to get going. Mm. Because what we do is we huddle up so often in our holy huddles. Mm. And we, we spend a lot of time talking about things that don't impact culture. And, and God is wanting us to go. And he is wanting us to walk just as he walked through this world and to see everyone. <laughs> don't get me lost on this one because I'm telling you, go, near, go read the last few chapters of Luke. Go read Mark 10. Start in Mark 10, 46, if you want to, with the story of, uh, with the, story of the blind man outside of Jericho. And, and realize the power of the fact that Jesus is on his way to the cross. And yet he still hears this man cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He hears a messianic title. He realizes that this blind man can see things that all of the people who can see can't see. Hmm. And he stops, and he stands still, and he says, bring that man to me. Jesus was always seeing. He was always noticing. He was always hearing. And he was always loving. And what I love is Matthew 9, 35 through 38, where it, Jesus says, he sees the crowds as harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Mm -hmm. And he has compassion on them. Let me tell you something. Mid-90s, sheep without a shepherd. Mm -hmm. Harassed and helpless. Are we going to love them? Or are we going to sit over here and just keep talking about them? Mm. Mm. Are we going to sit over here and we're going to lob our insults at them over whatever fence we build? Uh-oh, I might have hit a topic there. Mm. And just ignore mm. the fact that mm. these people are God's people that mm. he has created and that he has loved them with an everlasting love that we that we have never even understood for ourselves mm. yet. So one of the things that's pretty obvious here is that uh, you know Scripture, and that you're preaching. Uh, sorry. So no, no, this, don't be sorry. No need to apologize no, no, do not apologize here. So um, tell us about where it is that you minister here in the city. Uh, I work at New Paradigm Christian Church and Broderable, and um, it's just a wonderful place to be. So I you work. I am. I'm one of the ministers there. Okay. I'm an associate minister there. I'm also... Um, Get out of here. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. No. You couldn't tell. <laughs> yeah. So you're a preacher. Yes. Wow. 
this guy. Yeah. Uh, I'm also a chaplain uh, at three Midas stores here in Indianapolis. I work for the Fishers and Carmel Midas stores. Okay, just pause. I hit the hit the pause. You are a chaplain for Midas yes. tires. Yes. Okay. No, explain yourself. Well, this is kind of fun. A shepherd community, which is a wonderful. Wonderful ministry, not very far from us. Oh, very cool. Forty-one East Washington, and um, and I was serving as a chaplain to their staff for a long time. And um, their executive director, Jay Height, is a was at that time, I don't know, probably still is, a member of Truth at Work. Mm-hmm. And Truth at Work is a wonderful organization that helps uh, Christian businessmen and women understand how to bring Christ into the workplace. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about corporate chaplaincies and um, and Mike Pratt, who owns those Midas stores and a couple of Napa stores as well here in the area, said to Jay, you don't know a minister that doesn't look like a minister. <laughs> and Jay Height slid my number across the table to him. And I've been working uh, with Midas since somewhere around 2009. Mm. As a chaplain. Yes. So basically what you do is you just hang out. I you do. hang out and have a conversation. I do. I'm there to uh, to love the employees and to support the employees and encourage the employees, give them a safe and sacred space to belong and mm-hmm. to be wrong if necessary, mm-hmm. because I'm that free space. You know, if you need to take, take it out on somebody, Danny, you know, call Danny, and he'll listen, and, and we can get back. Let me kind of give a plug for some of the folks that we have uh, been advertising here of late. Uh, first of all, the Multiply Conference that's coming up November 8th and 9th. You don't want to miss that if you're available. Uh, I'll be there on Thursday late late morning through the rest of the afternoon on that Thursday, November 8th. But then Danny just mentioned Truth at Work, and I'm taking some students from IUPUI down there. Awesome. And uh, this is a fantastic uh, ministry. In fact, the co-founder is in my Sunday school class. Awesome. So Matt Peelan. Uh, Very cool. And, and of course, Ray. Uh, Hilbert uh, is the one who he and Matt kind of put this thing together, Truth at Work. So just a shout-out to those two. Uh, unfortunate or maybe fortunate, depending on your view, the Multiply Conference and Truth at Work at the same time. But nonetheless, powerful conferences, I think, are very, very beneficial here for Indianapolis. We're talking to Danny Wright, who worked here in the city of Indianapolis, doing a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, that, quite frankly, we're just kind of unearthing as we go. Uh, just found out, for instance, that he's chaplain to Midas stores, which, by the way, that, that whole discussion about being a chaplain in the workplace is... We, we need to have somebody in, uh, maybe have you back in again to just talk about that issue. That would be great. Let's come back again, though, to the, to the movie issue and uh, our concern about why it is uh, that it's important for Christians... Uh, to uh, be invested in this. And we talked earlier about uh, the problem of people checking out. That is, that that they don't pay attention. It could be that they don't pay attention. They don't care. To Dr. Clyde Posley's point, uh, actually it's important to go watch bad movies Mm -hmm. uh, and for the the reasons that he gave for that. But then to to this idea that uh, it's really important to focus and to give attention to something that's right in front of you, whether it's a book or a movie. So uh, I've kind of set you up there with this question. Why is it important that we not check out? Um, Well, because it's impossible to engage with culture if our minds are disengaged. Um, Because we have our own beliefs and opinions, and we're really good at Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it. And 
they they preclude us from being able to experience other people's opinions and uh, to experience their understandings of things. And and the whole idea of Jesus becoming one of us means we have to be able to go out and hear from other people's perspectives. We have to be able to see into other people's perspectives. We have to give them the space to have the discussion with us. Because so much of the time we come and we shove everything down somebody else's throat. And you know what? I, I'm sorry, but, you know, I don't want to eat that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. If you got to shove it down my throat, I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. You know, let's let's be able to let's be able to present a good meal mm-hmm. that has you know absolutely you know wonder that's full of flavor and and invites someone to the table and does not push them away. Sounds like Babette's Feast or something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, another great movie, by the way, if you've never seen Babette's Feast, uh, something that uh, is important to see. Um, but but to tag on to this and to continue the conversation about uh, the engagement with culture, uh, we live in a city, Indianapolis, a million plus people here in and around the city of Indianapolis. And what you're saying to us is that unless we are with people, that we're really not doing our jobs as Christians? Well, I, I would say that, yes, because, I mean, Emmanuel is... Jesus' name, mm-hmm. and it means God with us, mm. and he has left us to be his hands, his feet, his eyes, his ears, mm. his voice, his nose, <laughs> for people, mm. and and we have to rub up against them, we have to interact with them, we have to, and, and we're not, and we're not there with, with this idea of, um, we're not there in anger, and we're not there in, um, and things we're there to love them as they are where they are and try to help them hopefully be able to see what it means to understand a new perspective a perspective of the one who created us who loved us who desires the best for us you know um, and, and, and I, I, I certainly agree with that there is another perspective though when it comes to that I have when it comes to God being with us I think that uh, with us today, because of technology, because of uh, movies, mm-hmm. that we can be with people without necessarily touching them. I think we should go witness. I think we should live among mm-hmm. Christians and let our light show sign among men that they see our good works and glorify our Father. But but one of the ways I believe God, and it's becoming more clear now, I've said this on the show before, that God is seeking to touch us is with literature. Is mm-hmm. with is with engagement the humanities. Mm-hmm. There's a little a, a, a rarely discussed truth that Christ set forth in the 28th chapter of Matthew uh, that that is so powerful. Jesus told his disciples, "Go into the world and teach people to observe all everything. Everything I can." So that means, and I, I've said on the show before, I believe Jesus would be the ultimate humanities instructor. Mm-hmm. He, he so so part of the, the salvific change that we're supposed to is supposed to happen is that we're supposed to become a people who who becomes uh, who become attached, cognizant, engaged, awake to everything that is going on around us. You will not understand it, but be engaged with it, mm-hmm. and so and that is how we reconcile the world to people. Yes, not just reconcile people. But reconcile the world because he's reconciling all things exactly. unto himself. He's yes. reconciling mm-hmm. all things unto himself. So art, 
politics, uh, what is proper dress, what is, uh, what, what is the influence of dress, what reconciling the outward cover, which joke we played today. No person, uh, unless they are spiritual, would have would have assumed that this man is so full of the Holy Spirit, <laughs> so full of Scripture, and full of truth. And we're joking, but he's 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 it's it's, it's Halloween. He he has this on. He is clearly he's full of the Holy Spirit and full of the God and the things of God. But we have to learn from how we engage with people not to shut the door on people That's because right. of what we see, yes. whether it be race, uh, uh, political affiliation, whatever the case, because. We miss this. Suppose, as, as, as someone was saying uh, earlier, someone left their historic uh, ethnic concepts drive how they treat a person mm -hmm. versus giving the person opportunity. Mm -hmm. That happened in the studio today. We laugh, we play. That happened in the studio today. We might have a student description. We've had some pastors in. Mm -hmm. I'm not putting anybody down, mm -hmm. but someone who, who is in touch with mm -hmm. Scripture and its relate and, and his relationship to how that Scripture is supposed to affect what he does and what he does in his spiritual. I applaud him, but if, if you make a decision based on the external <laughs> <laughs> today, you're, not, you're, not, you're gonna miss a wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, Trilogy of theology and, and sociology and humanities all going on within this. I'm, mi I'm mindful uh, talking about Danny and your good soliloquy about who he is. Uh, for some reason, my mind went to Magnolia, uh, the movie by P.T. Anderson, and uh, this is just such a fine film. And I, for whatever reason, this you know conversation just struck me as. I remember the reviewer of P.T. Anderson's Magnolia asked him, uh, I thought you were Catholic, and I thought you were going to uh, say something about uh, penitence and repentance. And, uh, and he said, didn't you just watch my movie? Didn't you see me repent for two hours and 45 minutes? I'll never forget that interview and how he, P.T. Anderson said, you just don't get it, man. You just don't get it. This is, this is coming from my soul. So, you know, it's pretty obvious that, you know, we have a guest on today that uh, has, that this is coming from your soul. It's, it's who you are. It's warped and woofed through you, you know, in, in every respect. Well, so, and Martin Scorsese. Yes. And the journey that he has been on. Mm -hmm. uh, and finally being able to present silence. Mm -hmm. Shisaku Endo's amazing book. Mm -hmm. And to be able to bring that to the screen because it was his soul. Mm -hmm. work. It was... It was the statement he wanted. Fifty years in the making, yes. actually, actually. Actually, and by the way, for those of you who have never seen Silence, you can actually catch it. Is it Netflix or Amazon Prime? I forget. It's free. Uh, it's free someplace. But uh, <laughs> uh, my my point is always to my students: read the book first, please. Thank you very much. Uh, so we've got just uh, about three minutes left, Danny. Uh, just kind of riff on on what you want to leave with people here today, uh, with your presence in our studio, and what you want. to what you want them to walk away with at the end of the day? Oh boy, um, you know I would just hope and pray that um, the, the, discuss, the, the discussion we've had around scripture would uh, would become uh, impressed upon people's souls. Mm -hmm. I, I guess I guess I just now figured out what I would want to say. Um, Jesus was asked once, um, "What is the greatest commandment?" 
and he said, um, he said, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Ocheinu, Adonai Echad. And that's all I remember of the actual Shema. But he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And he said, The greatest commandment is, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and your mind as well. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he mentions all four of those. And he says, um, and he says, and the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. You know, it's amazing that the Shema is the basis and the foundation of, of the Hebrew way of life. Mm-hmm. And when Jesus was asked, well, what's the foundation of life? You know, he basically said, well, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And he repeated that, that same basis has not changed for us. We are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and all of our strength. In other words, everything we engage, we are to love the Lord as we do it. And all of that should be lived out, fleshed out, by loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we want to say, hey, Jesus, who was my neighbor? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <I> think- <laughs> because he's already, been, he's already answered that one too. Yes. And what a gift it is mm. to be placed in a world to love as Jesus loves. Mm. He showed us the way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And we need to follow suit. Mm. And uh, I, I mean, and that's whether you're watching film, listening to rock and roll, listening to rap, mm. uh, whatever it is you're doing. And um, and some of the people on the radio, I don't think they heard, you know, that your dissertation involved rap music at the end. Mm. That made my day. I mean, I loved you before then, but that even made that even made it better. You know, because, I mean, we'd never even discuss, what if we talk about Snoop Dogg for a little while? And what if we talk about the transformation that Snoop, Snoop Dogg is in the middle of right now? And, and the way that so many Christians were ready to probably write him off. And he says, I love when he said one time, he goes, well, if the church is full of nothing but saints, there's something wrong. Sure. Everybody in the hospital is certainly not well. Mm. That's right. And um, so anyway, I love me some Snoop Dogg. Great album. The Bible of Love. Snoop Dogg presents the Bible of Love. That's right. You've been listening to Warping with Radio, Radio TV at the Cool Grove site. Uh, we've had Danny Wright on here from uh, his many endeavors here in the city of Indianapolis, a pastor as well as a chaplain to various uh, entities in and around Indianapolis, and a Heartland Film Festival critic. Uh, somebody who loves film, and that's why we had him on today, talking about these kinds of things. Next week, uh, Dolores will be here from Sira, which, uh, by the way, I, I've never, I never heard about this before. I met uh, Dolores a couple of months ago uh, when we sat and talked about what it means to be a realtist. A realtist, and uh, this was a very important uh, history lesson for me when in and around Indianapolis, as much as the nation, uh, black men and women could not be realtors. They had to be realtists. We're going to be having Dolores on next week to talk to us about this and the importance of remembering our history in this regard. That's next Wednesday. Until then, thanks for listening. Uh, pick up our podcast. Check us out at communitiesinstitute.org.com and also at warpandwoof.org. And don't forget, my brother's great new book, Icons and more, more than icons and images. More than icons and images from Dr. Clyde Posley. Don't forget to pick that up. Oh, Check it out. Book signing Saturday. Yeah. Book signing Sunday, two thirty. Seven hundred four East Thirty Second Street at the Antioch Church. Okay. Seven hundred four East Thirty Second Street at two thirty. We're gonna have dinner after, after worship. Then I'm gonna sign some books. All right.
Wright, Dr. Clyde Posley, Danny Wright. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next week.